Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast. Featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. Welcome, Rob and Ryan. Rob Fisher, Ryan Selleck, friends of mine. Uh, guys that I wanted to invite you onto this show because of your passion, uh, your hearts, what you guys stand for. So welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks for being here. Thank Good you. to be here, Frank. Very cool. Now, you guys are my West Coast buddies. I guess if we were, uh, if we, uh, if there was an East Coast, West Coast war where thankfully there is not, not that I know of in the fire service, um, maybe we'd be uh, against each other but uh the fire service i believe is a family worldwide although sometimes it doesn't always that or maybe it does act like a family maybe it argues like a family sometimes but i know that that we have a lot in common uh and really it comes down to the word passion but the reason that i really wanted you guys on i'm wearing a shirt representing your your brand young officers on fire uh and the conference that you guys run uh you know riding the right seat fire conference I want to talk about those things. I want to talk about everything. And I want to just get right into it by starting with, and I guess, Ryan, I'll start with you. Just talk about what led you into this industry, the fire service, to begin with. Yeah, Chief. So interesting that uh, I was actually on a podcast last week. It's called Finding Strength. Shout out to them. And it's uh, um, sponsored by Deer Hollow, who does like mental health counseling um, in and outpatient for the fire service. And uh, it was live and in person. And the podcast host is a is a trauma counselor. And so they didn't give me any questions. And it was kind of everything was off the cuff, but he was kind of pushing a little bit. And uh, I realized that I, I always answer this with the first part and never the second. So I'll give you both parts. I'm going to try to start including that in, in my story because it's, you know, kind of got forgotten, I guess. But um, the first part is that my great uncle was a battalion chief at Tacoma Fire Department. And I grew up going to see him at the firehouse. Uh, we lived on the other side of the state, but every time we went there, it was like, uh, got to go see Uncle Kenny and go see the trucks and see the guys. And um, he, he was a big figure to me. And so um, I always tell that story. But the second part is that he, he died when I was about 16. And it wasn't line of duty death, but like so many, it was right after he retired. And I went to his service as a 16-year-old, and I saw, you know, something that you immediately knew was so much bigger than anything I'd ever seen. I'm from a town of, of 7,000 people. And here I am, there's, you know, engines and ladders, the um, police department shut down the streets and he was loved. And so it was a big, uh, it was a big deal for me. And uh, I, I became a volunteer, a, a cadet about a year after that. So that's, that's my story of how I kind of found my way in the fire service. That's cool. Listen, I am the son of a firefighter, the brother of a firefighter. You just said something that I think I want to just pause and, and talk about for just one moment, which is when you said, um, you know, he passed away shortly after he retired. When I was contemplating retirement, I, I did like everybody else does in certain times in your life. I did my pros and cons list. And first of all, I, I'm, 
active. As you guys know, I travel throughout the country and I speak. So I had something that I'm very passionate about that I could keep doing, writing books, going out, speaking, and still being in the fire service. So that was like a pro. Like I, I'm so passionate about it. One of the things that I thought about was this. A lot of people that I know in our industry were leaving, I guess, you know, after 30, 32, 33, 34, 35 years. Three or four years later, I was attending their funeral. And I remember thinking about this. This was actually on my list. I'm looking at this going, you know, I want to get as much living in as I can, you know, because um, I'm still passionate about the fire service, obviously. But at the same time, I had young kids and now they're 12 and 13. In the last three years, I had to spend incredible quality time with them and my wife to where I'm like, all right, so that turned out to be a really good decision. So I just want to touch on that because a lot of people that listen to this show are at that age and or at that point in their career where they're like, I have these conversations all the time. Yeah, I'm thinking about retiring. I'm just not sure yet. And um, and Rob, you know, you've been on the, in the service for quite some time. Can you talk about what led you into the service? Yeah, I mean, before I get there, I just want to say uh, good on you for retiring and, and putting the time in with the kids. You know, we are friends on Facebook and see each other at conferences. And I love like just the recent post you said that uh, over the next few days, your kids got like eight baseball games going on and uh, you're super excited for it. You and I share the love for baseball and, and family. And so being retired and, and having the ability to be able to do that, I mean, you just there's just no way that you could buy those years if you stayed in the fire service. And, um, and I'm on the edge of retirement myself. I mean, I, my kid is 35 years old though, but I have two granddaughters and mm -hmm. my wife and I built our house near them down in Vegas so that uh, we can be closer. And uh, so I'm right there. I'm, I'm really considering when is this going to happen? Cause I want to be around for the grandkids and see them grow up. But um, how I got into the fire service, my story is, in 1973, spring of 1973, my mom took me to the fire station in the neighborhood. I grew up in a sub, I grew up kind of on the outskirts of the downtown area of Seattle, Seattle Fire Department. And um, I visited the station and there were these monstrous men that greeted me, brought me into the station. They had a ping pong table there. It was this little tiny station. And uh, I was just amazed at these, these guys. And at that time, it was all, all men. And I was impressed by them. They were fun. They were huge. They were just, and then they got a call. And when they got the call and they all jumped on the rig and there was uh, three of them riding on the back, three or two or two or three of them riding on the back tailboard back in the days and still do that. And they took off out of the station. And I just remember the guy sitting there going, see you later, Robbie. And I'm going, oh, I got to do that. And I was, you know, five years old. Um, next door neighbor to my grandparents was John Riss. He's a, a disabled Seattle fireman back in the day. And so I talked to him a lot. And so the connection started when I was really, really young. And then of course, emergency, the show came out and it was an attraction for a lot of us at our age. And that just fed my fuel for this. Like, this is, looks like this is my calling. And I truly believe this is my calling. Um, because everything that has gone on in my life, um, this has been such a joy to be a part of. 
Um, so then I get into high school, I get in the cadet program, just like, like Ryan did, um, right out of high school, I got right into the fire service and uh, I've been doing it. This is my 36th year in the fire service. And, uh, I've basically worked for the same department this entire time. And I've been able to raise a family, have uh, a large group of friends and, you know, brothers and sisters throughout the fire service across the nation. I have the opportunity to teach across the nation. I've been very fortunate. So it's been quite the journey. And you've been pretty active. You know, you're one of the people that I, and there's several people, I, I, you know, Rick Lasky's on this list. Jason Hobelman is on this list. You're one of these people that I almost feel like I'm on tour with because <laughs> I'll go somewhere and I'll be like, yeah, we just had Rob Fisher here or Rob Fisher's coming uh, next week. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, I still remember, um, you know, early conversations we had. And I, I like before we started this recording, this podcast, we were saying, hey, wherever this conversation goes, we're going to let it go. But we have a love for music, you and I, and a lot of the same type of uh, uh, of music. But um, it's funny because you turned me on to that one um, documentary. Well, what was it about? What was the name of it? The music Sound, one? Sound City. Sound City. So I watched Sound City probably four times on airplanes traveling from one place to another going this is so great and then they came out with that um you know that uh, that eight or ten part series um that the uh the foo fighters came out with um i think it was on hbo that was almost like identical types of uh documentaries it was so cool um but one of the things and this is why i'm even going in this direction i said to my wife the other day i said if the foo fighters come around here for concert we have to go there you know because when I'm driving uh, somewhere and I'm looking to just, hey, I just want to kind of just get motivated about something, I could put in some of their songs as an example, and it just kind of pumps me up, re-energizes me. Everybody needs something to get them uh, to maintain a level of passion for something they're doing. What is something that you guys do to help maintain your passion for the fire service, because first of all, most of the people that listen are the fire service. You're, you guys are successful in this industry. What's something you do to kind of decompress? Because you can't take it home with you. This is something I learned about anything. I got a friend that's a general in the Army. He says, when I leave, I leave it on the field. I'm not bringing it into my house. When I leave, I go. I take my dog for a walk. I bring my kid down and play baseball with him. I'm going to go, you know, uh, fishing, something. But I'm emotionally and mentally disconnecting from here what are ways that you disconnect for me it's music it's a walk on the beach it's writing but what are some of the ways you guys do to disconnect to re-energize and stay passionate ryan you want to ryan, first? ryan i could guess i could start with you sure um you know i think it's it's physical things for me it's um for a while i was big in triathlons uh local short up to um attempted an Ironman and uh, I left that behind in COVID because we couldn't do it anymore. And uh, my kid had been doing jujitsu for a while. And so my oldest and then uh, my youngest was getting to that age. So I, we both joined. And so it's kind of something we can do together. And it's uh, a great way to just, you know, get a lot of, a lot of energy out of your body and uh, be around a whole different group of people and then get to be there with the kids is, is just kind of like an added benefit. So for me, it's, it's physical things like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I noticed, I saw on Facebook that you had, um, 
uh, some kind of martial arts. I saw that you were involved with. I actually was going to talk about that. And you also coach basketball. Do you coach any other sports? Nope, just just basketball currently. That's the only thing in my forte. I think I'm capable of coaching. So I'm I'm pretty amateur at the jiu-jitsu. I'm a a pretty uh, white belt. So which is which is cool too. You know, I think that that's that's one thing that's attractive to it. While it's you get to a point in your life where you um, you know you want to be good at everything, and and as you get older and you kind of are around more things, you've been there, and you're kind of the person who's who's done the things, and you're at the kind of the higher chain of the level and you go to jujitsu and uh, you're just humbled every time it's, you know, you've heard the term white belt mindset. Um, uh, I'm the rookiest rookie in that place. And so, you know, all of my stature from anything else means absolutely nothing in that place. And, and that's one of the things I kind of love about it. So. I've heard that before. I have several friends that have uh, fought in the UFC, uh, most notably Frank Yeager. And uh, one day I'm at a party at his father-in-law's house and there's six UFC fighters sitting at the same table with me. One of us was not like the others, and that was me. And um, at the time, all six were ranked top 10 in the world for their weight classes. And they were so humble. And so I, and their boxing coach, Mark Henry, was there too. And I actually brought that up and I said, you know, you guys, I've been around some pro athletes before that are kind of distant maybe even a little cocky. You guys are, are all pretty humble. And one of them says, well, it's easy to be humble when you're sitting next to someone that chokes you out five times a day. That's good point. Doubt. That's a right? good point. How about you, Rob? Uh, as you can tell uh, with my round face, I'm, I'm part Italian. So uh, opposites attract. So Ryan is the hard worker and likes to sweat it out. And I like to, to eat it out. I'm, I like to cook. Um, I collect wine. So um, I enjoy wine. My wife and I travel a lot. Um, we're at least traveling internationally once or twice a year. Uh, so um, I would say that, you know, outside of family, I do a lot to, to try to spend time with family. And, and because we live in two different states, and maybe we can discuss that later on. But um, anytime that I'm home, it's, uh, I'm never really unplugged. I mean, that's, that's, I guess I should start by saying, Really, the only times I'm unplugged is is when I'm on an international trip. I'm really traveling, and, and I can really separate. And even then, I'm still kind of watching on Facebook, or still kind of will, will touch on things. But that's probably the most time that I'm unplugged. Outside of that, um, I'm always still kind of connected, which can be, you know, a bad thing. Uh, but I'm I'm able to manage it really well. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's food, cooking, uh, enjoying wine, and travel. I do like music. I mean, I mean, as you and I, we've discussed our musical backgrounds, um, what we enjoy. I'm fortunate. Uh, my brother's in the music industry. And and so like when we talk about Foo Fighters, he he did tour with the Foo Fighters uh, when he was with this other band. And um, when we talk about like family, the Foo Fighters, and they're just one of, a, I'm sure, a handful of bands, but like the Foo Fighters, they just, everything is family, yep. including everybody. And so like looking at a group like the Foo Fighters, they're one of my favorite groups as well. I can listen to them. I can listen to, you know, Frank Sinatra. I'm into big band stuff. So my musical genre goes all over the place. I just, I just can't listen to today's uh, rap or, you know, the, the, I guess the modern, the modern rap today, it's, it's a little hard, but music is another way that I, I kind of disconnect. 
Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw that carpool karaoke with the Foo Fighters. I'm sure you have. Uh, yeah. I love when they're all in a van together. And the host says, when's the last time you were all in one van together? Thinking like they were going to say 20 years ago. And they said, uh, about four days ago. What? Really? Yes. Just a few days ago. They, because yeah. they still are that were that type of band. And I'm sure they are. And um, uh, But you get that sense from them. That, yeah. And maybe I, I think Dave Grohl is my favorite artist out there today because first of all because every time you see these clips on youtube where he'll bring an audience member in or he'll have a, a, a somebody come in and be a guest um uh guitar player singer whatever i love the way he always like raises that other person up you could clearly see he's doing it he'll bring in somebody that had one hit in their career and he'll make the biggest deal out of that hit. Like, guess who we have coming on stage with us? And you, and then it seems like everybody's geeking out over this person that they never even were thinking about for for twenty years. And I've seen him. I feel like he's actually revived some people's careers. And uh, and I think that's just the coolest thing, man. But but I, I often say like we need more people like that in all industries. This industry, fire service, people that are lifting up other people constantly. Because one of the questions I wanted to talk to you guys about, and I'll start with you, Rob, is what do you think we're either doing right or what we're doing wrong? What are we getting right or, and what are we getting wrong? And somebody asked me this question, like, what are we doing wrong in a fire service today? And this was my answer. I said, look, it seems like if we're not busy fighting fires, some people are busy fighting each other on social media. Like with criticism about how they do this job or how they we all get caught up in this myself included we all get caught up on this but at the same time i think let's society society's going in that direction anyway where people are almost being taught through the media to hate or fear the opposing point of view and i'm saying let's continue in the fire service to be the people that set the bar higher where we say look we can agree to disagree because and you know this is a cliche and we've said this kind of thing for years, but nobody asks a person uh, what their race, religion, political preferences are before running in a building to save a person. Building's on fire. Somebody needs help. It's another human being. We go to help them. And I want to keep that pure in the fire service. So when I say when somebody asks me what are we doing wrong in a fire service, I'm like we're we're leaning a little bit towards that divisiveness to say if you agree with that, then we can't be friends which I, I don't think that should be the case. But um, how about you, Rob? I'll start again with you. Is there something you feel, hey, we're getting this right, this is good, or we're really getting this wrong, this is bad? All right, well, first of all, what we're getting wrong is we're painting fire engines something other than red. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, hey, listen, so we're going to keep Euro helmets out of the conversation. <laughs> I'm not even going to bring it up because Ryan always goes into seizures every time we talk about it. <laughs> Um, so I, I think what we are doing right is, um, we are getting into the science behind a lot of the stuff that, uh, has been shared for, for many years and it's, and it's backing up a lot of what we're doing. So it's good to see that the American fire service, uh, politicians and everybody are putting forth the funding that allows for us to, to, to look at fire dynamics to look at, um, you know, what's going on with our nozzles, the types of nozzles to answer all the questions 
um, so we can stop bickering and we can stop arguing about what is right, and what is wrong. And uh, so I think that's been good. And, and we, you know, I don't want to bring up, we're not going to bring up the European helmets, but when in the European fire service, they've been doing this for a long time, putting forth the effort to kind of study stuff. And they don't just take something on without making sure that it, it works or doesn't work. I mean, one example is PPV in America is like everybody made this movement in the eighties to PPV and never, nobody really ever studied it. It's just like, Hey, look at this. And uh, in, in Europe, they have fans, but, and they're still studying. They, they haven't, they haven't adopted it as this is the only way we're doing ventilation or the, the type of ventilation we're doing. So I think that's good. I, you know, I'll even say that uh, social media has been good and uh, it has allowed us to share information. And generally speaking, there's been a lot of good sharing going on out there. Uh, things that we are struggling with um, that we're not doing so well. I mean, this is partly why we, you know, why Ryan started this and you know, maybe he can talk a little bit about how the, how young officers on fire got started. But um, my, my part was, uh, coming in and just wanting to do more for mentoring and it and in the old days of the fire service before there was all of this organized training before target solutions and everything that's out there that you can learn from the way that you learn the job was through a senior man and again at that time it, it was all men but the way you learned a job was was through the senior firefighter on in, in that station or in that department and that created a, a form of informal mentoring. And so I think in the American fire service, or I don't think that we're doing a really good job mentoring, um, which is why we kind of started this and why we're trying to, you know, get this thing going um, to add to that. And, and I'm in other groups with chief officers. And, um, and so I've got some small things going on, but it's, it, it amazes me the number of chief officers that are not participating in some type of mentoring program. Now we have some close ones, uh, Scott Thompson, Phil Jost, and some of these guys that uh, we work with um, that do that do that. But if I was a fire chief, I would, and, and I guess I'm just because I'm passionate about mentoring, I would want to be involved in all this stuff so I can pass this on because my time at being a chief officer is going to be limited. And one day I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be gone. And what better way to make sure the fire service is moving in the right direction and we're putting the right people um, that can handle problems because the problems are the problems are changing. It's it's not as simple as it used to be back in the in the fifties. Um, we have different problems, different challenges, and it's going to take a new leader, new style of leader. And the only way we can do that, I think, is through a lot of mentoring um, and a lot of development. So I, I think we're kind of missing the boat on on developing our future leaders and. We could go down that rabbit hole about leaders because there's millions of leadership books out there, and uh, and it still seems to be a problem, in my opinion. I I'm really glad you hit on that because you are right. When I first came into the fire service, that the senior member, the senior man, is what we called it then, but the senior member in the fire service, uh, that was a coveted position. That was something that people didn't take lightly, and you really that's who you went to many times because you you were taught to go to that person and i have felt like that has changed along the way and you talk about chiefs having a passion for mentoring i was just two weeks ago contacted by uh fire chiefs association in massachusetts they wanted me to review their mentorship program 
and I reviewed it and I said uh, a couple things. Number one is they have so many good things in place. If you become a new chief in Massachusetts, you know, they want you to be a part of this. These are a list of mentors throughout the state. These are people that kind of match up well with you as far as demographics, size of your department, all that stuff, and a list of numbers. And if you have a problem, call this number. We will match you with somebody and try to make that connection. So many good things. I told them really the only thing that that they need to expand on is what we're doing right now. Like you just mentioned, you have social media now. You have podcasting now. We have ways to get information out there. You're not going to get everybody from the state to come to a Tuesday meeting once a month because some people aren't going to drive two and a half hours, but they could listen to you know, this monthly podcast that we do. And we talked about a few things that I'm that they're working on implementing right now uh, just to make sure that people do mentorship is such a valuable thing. I mean, when you're gone, your knowledge goes with you unless you do something to leave it with somebody else. That right there is one of the most, I guess, important reasons or, or, or I guess, key points of why I'm an author in the first place. For me, being an author is a, another form of mentorship. If I can put these thoughts out there and if I can help somebody by making sure that they don't make the same mistakes I made because they have this blueprint to say, here's how I get from A to, to D without having to get tripped up in B and C like Frank Viscuso did. Um, you know, you can mentor through books, you can mentor through podcasts, you can mentor through or, or just by listening to these things, you can find mentors. So thanks for hitting that topic. Ryan, I'll go to you. Uh, you have any thoughts on this? Uh, well, that's awesome what they got going there. We need more of that in the fire service for sure. But I'll start with what you said about Dave Grohl. And I, I think that's what you're doing right now, because I I don't have any business being on here with the people that you bring on this podcast. Um, so I'm incredibly appreciative to be here because I think that's what you're doing right now for me. Um, but what's going right and wrong? You know, Rob and I, we've worked so well together because we think alike and uh, my answers are pretty similar. You know, I think the outlet that we have through conferences and the things that are kind of starting to pop up so that the people that just have a passion for the job, they are into the job, they want to talk about the job, they want to learn about the job. There's so many more avenues to be involved now through, you know, through social media, but, but going out, going to these conferences that are coming up all over the country, um, getting around other people who have that passion because as we know, when you have that passion at the firehouse, sometimes that can just overwhelm the people who are not. And so I think we're doing that right for sure. That There's seems to be a new groundswell of people who, number one, you know, people out there teaching who really are good at knowing the job. I mean, these, these are the experts in the country and having those people come around, you know, I think Brothers in Battle, Cody, Trestrail and Firemanship, for me was was a game changer on the west coast because it was the first time where you had all of these people from all over the country experts guys from FDNY who we we just have no access to out here who were coming in and to just blow on our minds with with leadership tactics strategy all kinds of stuff um so i think we're doing that right and i love i love seeing that uh wrong i think i think right what you guys talked about is there, there's some leadership pieces that I still feel are missing in the fire service. I think that 
you know, two, two big pieces are at the upper levels, understanding um, the why and, you know, and, and I'll bring it back to Cody again, because his passion is just, there's just not many like it. And it's, it's so strong and so right on, but just losing focus of, you know, we put people in risk for a reason. And I think that's just got a little bit lost and I don't know, you know, when it got lost, but from the day I started in the fire service, uh, in 20, 23 years ago, which isn't that long, I feel like it's changed in that mindset of what we're willing to risk and why we do the things we do and why we, why we search aggressively and all of those things just kind of got lost in my career. Um, and I think that piece is missing. And then the other piece that I think is just missing a little bit is, you know, I see a lot of people use your book on their promotional, but sometimes I wonder if anybody at the higher ranks is reading it. And that goes back to taking care of your people and loving your people, you know, supporting them. And I feel like that is, is just not always the case. Um, and always, you know, we're, we're looking from the outside in at other agencies, but through our mentorship program, we get to have a lot of good conversations about what's happening in organizations across the country. And, you know, we have people from volunteer firefighter to deputy chiefs of, of urban departments. And, um, you know, there's just things that you're like, there's no way that that could be a statement made and they really care for their people. They really have their people's backs. And so I think that's a piece that we just got to keep. And that's, that's why we're doing mentorship. That's why we're doing conferences is uh, we want to make sure the next generation of leaders, they carry both of those things forward. The understanding of the why and the understanding of you got to take care of your people. If you want your people to take care of the the people that we serve. So. Yeah. Oh my, it's all, it's all connected. So, so tightly. And uh, it's recently I had gone out to do um, a conference where I was teaching uh, all the officers in this particular department. I don't even want to say what state it is uh, because of what I'm about to tell you next. And the way that it was I was introduced was they basically said, you know, we had him come in and talk to all of us, the administration, uh, six months ago. And we thought this was valuable stuff. And we felt all the officers should get this training. And so then I gave the class, spent the next four to five hours with all the officers and a lot of Q&A. Uh, I felt it was a great event, but there were a few that were pretty upset because they came up to me afterwards and said, it's frustrating for us to know that you were here six months ago talking to them and they're not implementing the stuff that you just taught us because it makes sense, but they're not doing it. And and this led to a, uh, a conversation about things like, for example, micromanagement. These particular firefighters felt, hey, we're micromanaged. There's a question I ask at every conference. Rob, you've seen me speak a few times. You've heard me ask it. How, raise your hand if you feel that you, at some point in your career, have worked for a micromanager is the question I ask. I've never seen less than 90% of the hands in the room go up. So 90% of the hands, and I mean thousands and thousands and thousands of people, 90% of their hands go up when I say, raise your hand if you've worked for a micromanager. I used to say, raise your hand if you currently work for a micromanager. Then I realized that's too loaded of a question because you, your boss is in the room. So um, what I started to think about was this. Yeah, we have a micromanagement problem. Do we or do we have a problem where nobody likes being told what to do ever and they perceive everything as being micromanaged? 
And so I started really contemplating this and saying, maybe we need to, to just do a better job of giving direction and not making it seem like it's, hey, I'm going to micromanage you. But at the same time, this is what I've learned more being a baseball coach than I did being a fire chief. Uh, from the age, my kids, my youngest son is 12 now. At the age of seven, we started a travel baseball team with them. We're still going. Some of the players are there. My son just asked at dinner last night, who was part of the original team when we were seven? And we named the ones that were part of it. And some have moved on. Some aren't playing anymore. Some are playing for other teams. And they'll all come together and maybe play all-stars again. And this is what I learned with this conversation. We never stopped going. We kept going. If people stopped for whatever reason, first of all, it's youth sports I'm talking about. But in that process of going, for sure, there's some people, a coach or two that may have left in the course of five years that says, hey, I don't like the way Frank Viscuso runs things. Understandable. One of the things I always did was say, "If I always said this, if there's anything you want to do at practice, let me know. We'll work it in and you can run the practice if you want. I've always said that. But sometimes they don't hear that. They hear, oh, we're, oh, we're doing this drill again, or because I believe in the basics. Or we're going to, oh, why are we doing this and why aren't we doing that? So they won't ask. They won't make a suggestion. But inside, they'll be upset because I'm running things. But if I didn't run things and if you guys didn't run things, sometimes it just doesn't get run at all. You understand where I'm going with this? So they could sit here and say, oh, you know what? Hey, he's a micromanager because he's always, always the one putting the plan together. When I'm saying I'm not a micromanager at all, I'm just a person who's finishing. I have an end goal. And the end goal for that particular group is this. At the age of 12, if we do things right, they can play in Williamsport in the Little League World Series. There's a chance at that. So we're working to try to make that happen. So I'm just sh throwing this out there because you guys are triggering some thoughts in me. And um, and I don't know if there's anything you want to add on that on that topic, if I'm triggering any thoughts in you at all about micromanaging or uh, giving direction or because what I like about you guys is you started Young Officers on Fire because you had a purpose. And we just kind of uncovered some of what that purpose is, mentorship, training, educating, bringing it to the next level. Right. Do you I mean find any of the things I'm talking about of value in your journey? of getting to where you want to go and where is it that you do want to go with young officers on fire? What is your ultimate goal? Frank, I, Rob, I, I guess think, I could start with you. Okay. I going back to um, what you were saying about uh, with the kids and, and that they may not be hearing or what, what you're saying is, do we have a generation of firefighters that just um, uh, are not accepting whatever assignment it is? And, and I think it leads to one of the other issues. And, and uh, I've, I've lectured on this and, and I've done a little bit of study and I need to put more time and effort into it. But I think we have a followership issue mm. and, and yeah. how the military does a really good job of it because the military, you know, they've got very strict and they can do just about anything, right? So when you come in, everybody's the same. Everybody looks the same because they, they want you to look the same. They want you to, they want to strip you of your identity. And and they're very, very deliberate on how they focus your education, how you learn things. But you're not in boot camp the entire time when you're in the military. You, you learn through followership. 
you learn to be a good follower, which leads into being a better leader because over a period of time, and it's like with firefighters too, early on in your career, a lot of people are telling you what to do. They're, they're guiding you along the way. And it's your job to, to receive that and take that in. Um, but you, at, when you're good at doing that, receiving that and listening and processing, being able to understand the difference between somebody telling me and constantly telling me what to do and not trusting me because true leadership is entrusting and empowering your people. And if you can't do that, you know, so that, I think that's part of the problem. We do have leaders that don't empower their people, don't trust their people. And they, they truly are micromanagers. They want to keep control yes. of everything because there's a level of liability. And, and Ryan kind of hit on it when he was talking about some of the things um, with risk is that if we were to talk about one of the other issues in the fire services, are we risk averse? And that could be, man, we could, that, that could be a debate that could go on for a long time. But the fire service kind of has changed. And, um, and we take, we're worried so much about liability now that a lot of the leaders that are in positions are not willing to empower their people because they are the ones that are holding the accountability for the actions of somebody else. And so I think one, if we could focus more on followership and teach the generation that's coming through how to be better followers, then I think in the future, it will help them become better leaders. And you had mentioned like the Massachusetts, you know, mentoring for the chief officers. And, and I would say one of the problems is a lot of chief officer groups do mentoring for chief officers. Once you make chief, we're going to mentor you. Well, we need to mentor you earlier. Before. That's why this is, yep. yeah, that's yep. why this is young officers on fire. We want to mentor the, the firefighter that's like getting ready to take that leap. Yeah, we have company officers that want to become battalion chiefs. And we have battalion chiefs that want to become, you know, senior chiefs and deputies and assistant chiefs. But the reality is where we need to hit is we need to hit the firefighter and the company officers to, to help them because you've got to be a good leader before you get to the opportunity to, to kind of get welcomed into the group. And it's good that, that, a, that a group would have mentorship that's kind of like that formal mentoring where you were in the corporate world where it's like, you've made it. Now you've got to go through certain things and, you know, get certain things checked off and make sure you understand these things. But, but going back to the followership, if we're talking to firefighters and we're helping them understand what leadership really is and that they can now, they can differentiate between I'm being told what to do and I'm being controlled. That's that's the key because right. then they will be better down the road. Right. So, and here's where we get into this debate. Like, and this this one frustrates me when people are like, "Oh, here we go." Now this department only is concerned with what uniform you're wearing. No, they're not concerned with what uniform you're wearing. But you better look like a uniformed agency because you do all work together. Because doing what I've now do for a living, I will sit down sometimes in a fire station with 45 people that work for one department, then they look like they work for 45 different departments. And it seems like those particular organizations also have the problem with everybody's just concerned about their own thing. They're in their own world. There's no set goals. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of conflict. I, I actually am one of the people that do think it's connected. And I'm not saying you need to focus on everybody being in uniform. What I'm saying is it's all part of it. We are a uniformed agency. So look like you belong to, and 
and I, and I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to cross this bridge where people are saying, oh, you would put that above performance on the fire ground. No, I connect it to performance on the fire ground. I actually connect them together because if I know that I have discipline and I know that people have pride in wearing that uniform and all these things are connected, I think one thing can build off another, can build off another. And I love what you just said about um, mentor people before they get there. Um, one of the, uh, I have a class I call um, Officer Development Workshop, and I hate the title. So I tell people it's really Leadership Development Workshop. I want people in that class who are not officers yet, because the last thing I want is for them to become an officer and say, wait a minute, I didn't know any of this. Know it beforehand. Start acting like an officer before you get there. And how do you do that? Well, you have officers around you. You don't need a class for it. You could learn from people through podcasts, listening to what Rob just said. You could listen to or read a book, watch people in your organization, watch people in other organizations. Ryan, you have sounds like you have mentors that don't belong to your department, but you learn from them other ways. I think we all do. And um, and how about you, Ryan? One of the things you said that actually bothered me earlier was you feel like you don't, in, in your own words, that you don't belong on this podcast. I strongly disagree with that. Um, you know, you got something on behind you right there. You got that symbol on your wall, which is the same symbol I have on my wall. And you got that three-letter word there that I have hanging up right there. Mine says dad's place. Yours says dad with, with Hudson and Camden in the background. Um, there's no difference between you, me, and Rob. Um, your passion is there. Your desire to want to be the best that you can be. You, Your love for family your love for service and the fire service. And with all of that also comes frustration because when, we're, when we care, that's when frustration sets in. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's That's been definitely the most challenging thing for the entirety of my career is uh, trying to find that balance of, you know, the expectation of, what I think the fire sh service should be, where it is, where I am, where the people are around me are, you know, one of the most kind of freeing things for me that happened a few years after I um, became an officer was I realized that I don't meet my own expectations. And so I stopped trying to think that anybody else would meet expectations I've set for them. Uh, they're just too high. They're too high for myself. And if I try to hold people to that sort of expectation, it's going to create conflict. It's going to create failure. So, um, yeah, I would, I would agree. And, and on the, the leadership fellowship thing, I, I think like everything, you know, there's, there's somewhere in the middle and, you know, our mantra is follow me, right. But not follow me because I have bugles follow me because I invested in becoming a leader. I, you know, spent the time. So I'm competent, if, you know, one of my people has a problem on their off day, I'm going to come to their house and take care of it. Like all of the things that take such a long time to build so that you have people want to follow you is a, is a big piece of that. And so I do think that, you know, followership is based on, am I following somebody who is worth following or who I think is invested in me, invested in themselves? So I think it's, it's definitely two parts. And so on the leadership side, you know, um, 
we all have places to grow in leadership. Everybody does. So that's, that's why we're here. Right. That's, that's why we started yeah. this, this, this company and our mentorship group and um, is we all have places to grow in leadership. So. And is there something that, that you guys, either one of you, I'll start with you, Rob, like a certain quality that you look at and say, if, if I'm going to follow, well, this is what I look for in a leader. If I'm going to follow something like for me, for example, I want someone who's passionate and has a clear vision of where they want to go and can convey that. And I want someone that that I I I completely feel I can trust this person because that's becoming more and more rare right now. Like I can trust them. I know like like they're doing this for the right reasons. They truly care. Um, is there something that you in particular look at and say, this is the type of quality I'm looking for in a leader? Yeah, I don't think it's one particular one because obviously, you know, if I were to pick one, it would be trust that that, that I can trust them and they can trust me. But you know, if I were to kind of, you know, slice it out a little bit more and just like, what are the things that build up for a good leader for me? And I'll and I'll take it from uh, General Mattis. He has the three C's of leadership, and that is caring, competence, and and conviction. And I think those kind of lend to, you can, you can follow caring to their trusting and so on and so forth. But um, I think when I look at a, a leader, somebody I, I would love to follow, they care about the fire service. They care about people. They care about me. They care about their family um, and they're competent. And that doesn't mean that they know everything because I, you know, that's one of the things that I learned early on in the fire service when I was promoting the company officer is like, Man, I've got to have all skill sets. I got to be ready to do anything. And the reality is, is that I just have to be, you know, somebody that can facilitate and can, you know, have connections. I don't have to do everything. I just got to have the connections or the ability, the humility to be able to say, I don't know, you know, let's learn it together. So competence is, is really important in, in being a good leader because, you know, how are you to lead when you don't understand? You know, and it's not that you have to understand everything, but you've got to have a good basis of it. And then conviction that kind of leads to the passion. You stand behind things. You know, there's there is a line, very clear line of what you believe is right and wrong. And uh, and I think when I take those and you add trust and somebody that's willing to give me, you know, and they want to have fun. I mean, I, I want to have fun when I'm at work, um, when in my days off helping other people or if I'm mentoring, meeting with somebody, it's like, I don't want to make this all business. I want to have fun. I want to enjoy, again, goes back to caring for people and I want to enjoy the time with them. So those would be the things that I'd be looking at for my leaders. Yeah. You know, I once said that to, uh, when I was a deputy chief, I said that to some of the officers that worked on our shift. I said, I, I want to hear, I want to hear the firefighters laughing every day. I want to hear that. I want to know that they're coming to work and are enjoying it. They come with a smile on their face. We'll train hard. We take the job seriously. Yeah, we're going to hold people accountable. But at the same time, I want them to want to be here. And I think that's one of the keys you talked about. You know, you don't have to know anything. Uh, when I, I've done some research and read a few books on Disney, trying to understand how they developed a successful culture. One of the things I read said, not in these words, I'm going to paraphrase it. Their employees are not supposed to say, I don't know. They're supposed, well, they can say, I don't know. And let me get this right, but they're not supposed to leave it at, I don't know. They need to get your issue resolved. 
So the way that they go about doing that is to bring in someone who can resolve the issues they can't, whether it's to call someone on the radio and ask them to come to the front desk that can help resolve the issue or to pick up that phone and call that office that can give the answer that they're looking for and not just leave you with, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And my experience for the times that I've been there has been just that, where they've always were able to resolve the issue one way, shape or form. And in this world, it's hard to, um, I mean, there's, there's what, 56,000 people at work for Disney. Can you imagine having 56,000 people that you need to try to train to provide great service? And I, and in chapter um, or page five of this book, Creating Magic, and, and I think I have this memorized now, with the uh, Lee Cockrell, the former vice president of Walt Disney World's Resorts, wrote this. What really drives the magic at Disney is the extraordinary service. How does Disney maintain that high quality of service? Each of the 59,000 cast members is trained to treat each and every guest with the utmost care and respect. And they do this consistently because they are treated exactly the same way by Disney leadership with the utmost care and respect. So what he basically says in that paragraph is this. If, if we want our the people that work for us to provide great service for all these people that walk through our gates every day and into our resorts every day, we need to make this a place where they want to be. That's what I took from it. And then in that book, he talks about making it that place that you want to be. And um, uh, Clint Pulver, I have not read his book, but I think the title of his book is I Love It Here. Here's a guy that when he's a motivational speaker and a drummer, you'd love him, Rob. You know, he, he incorporates drums into his his talks and all, uh, you know, a studio level drummer. And um, he interviewed people and about their environment, where they work. And one of the questions or one of the things that he was drawn to early on was when people say, hey, I, I really love working here. And he's like, well, let me talk to you a little bit more than these people over here that aren't happy. Why do you love working here? And he started zoning in on that question, finding people who love their job and saying, why do you love it here? And again, I haven't read the book yet, but I just read that that's what the book is about. And I said, that's very intriguing to me because here's a guy that just really captured this essence of, wait, you know what? Let's stop talking about what's wrong with things and find out what's right. And um, Ryan, I don't know. You have any thoughts on the topic? You know, I think Rob covered a lot of it. Definitely someone, uh, and I forget who coined this term, but it's been floating around for a while. Uh, probably the fit to fight fire guys, but, you know, someone who leads themselves, someone who sets that example. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why Rob has been a mentor to me is, is he's that guy. You know, he's the guy who goes out and teaches forcible entry, even though he's a battalion chief. Um, so mm -hmm. that's, that's a big piece for me. And the other pieces back that we've, we've talked about is that caring piece. You know, I tell the new guys, look at when there's a tragedy, look at who's the first to sign up to, to be there. And, and you'll find those are the same people who are teaching, who are training. Those are the officers you want to work for. Those are the firefighters you want on your crew. It's the same people. It all, it always is. And, and I've watched that over the several years and I'm like, yep, it's the same names, the same people who are there to mow the guy's lawn, who's out for surgery. And, uh, I think and we're that's, talking, that's we're talking huge. like 10%. Right. Yeah. It's the same 10%. hundred. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, no, I've seen that too. In my department, I wrote about that a little bit about certain guys that were always answering that call when Superstorm Sandy hits. They're the first ones to volunteer to go help out, and when it's time to you know senior picnic, they're the first ones that are there grilling and cooking. Same things. Um, you guys, uh, Rob, you mentioned your wife. You live in different states, and Jody. Uh, you know, I'd met her out in Pensacola Beach. Um, I, I love your relationship with her from what I see. I only see the social media aspect more than anything else, but there seems to be a lot of love and support there. And, you know, one of the things that, that I noticed is that she, like, she's very proud of you. When you were speaking, I believe it was the first time at Kurt, Kurt Isaacson's uh, conference out there in Pensacola beach. She was the first one blasting it all over social media, how proud she was of you. And I remember thinking, man, that's really cool. Talk about, uh, and, and I'm also going to ask you this, Ryan, with your family as well, but how you incorporate your family into the fire service life. Yeah, I, I mean, the one thing that's kind of funny is just the other day on social media, uh, Amanda Corley or Amanda um, Moore, Corley's wife, yep. she Corley responded and said, hey, the number one hype wife. And I came back and said, there must be a college for this because my wife is the same. Yeah, and it's um, funny because you did mention two wives that I put in the same exact category when it comes to that. I told Corley that too. I'm like, I want to hire your wife as my PR agent because she does a fantastic job. Yeah, my my wife is she's a she's a superstar. Um, she's probably well, she is my number one supporter. Um, I I should start by saying I've not always been the best when it comes to family stuff. I mean, I've been a very active uh, firefighter over my career. And I've spent a lot of time in, in college and spent a lot of time teaching and learning and everything. And so I have not always been the best of husband, the best of father. Um, so I've had to learn this. And sadly, you know, it's, it's, I'm learning and I'm just really getting into the stride over the last probably decade. Um, and, you know, my career is coming to an end um, here in the future. But, um, but yeah, I've been very fortunate to have uh, a very supportive wife. Um, she tells a story sometimes with some of the other wives that she was talking to her mom one time and, and she was complaining about, I was out teaching and her mom's like giving her, just giving her some perspective. Is he, is he, is he out drinking with his buddies? Is he, is he out chasing girls? You know, is he, is he out just playing by himself? No, he's out trying to better himself, better other firefighters and providing for the family. I mean, what else could you ask for? And, and I won't say that that was a pivotal moment for my wife, but that was a, a definitely a moment for her. And, uh, and so what's been great is I take her on the road with me a lot. And um, she probably doesn't travel with me with Brothers in Battle because um, you know, just some of the, the, the places that we're going and teaching. But like Kurt Isaacson's, you know, going to COBC, anything that's in Florida where the, a lot of the wives are coming. And, and to, to credit to Kurt, I remember he had said a long time ago on a podcast, he was talking about COBC and why he has the spouse track at COBC. He wants the wives to come. He wants all of us to be there and that we can share in this. And then that has now led to my wife's involved with um, uh, Fire Wife Life. And it's another uh, organization, um, Kathy Edwards. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. So and they just had a retreat just this last weekend. And so she's now a part of that. She's a, a regional uh, 
director or something. And, and so it's been really cool for our lives on this parallel to she's on one side of it, still moving in the same direction that I am. It's, it's associated with the fire service. So it really has helped. Now it's not the answer for everybody because I know that there's, there's probably some wives out there that would say, there's no way in heck that I'm going to join an organization that just puts me in this box, the silo of I'm a wife, you know, they, they want to have their own things and, and, and I get it, but for my wife and I, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. It speaks, it works out really, really well. And she's retired now. So it makes it really easy for, for her to travel along uh, when we're on these shows. And um, it's great. You know, my, I, I think we, we are better as a couple. We were concerned when the kid went to college back in the day, it's like, okay, we're going to be an empty nest. And this is like that hurdle that you got to get over is like, do you really enjoy time with one another? Or was the focus on the kid, the kids? And, uh, and, and we made it through it, no problem. And, and now we just, you know, with life travel, with teaching and everything, it's been great. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Ryan, how about you with your, your wife? I met your wife uh, when I came out there uh, to Washington for your conference, but talk about how you incorporate your wife and your kids, how you get them involved. So I'm not a music guy, but if she was going to be in a band, she'd be like the bass player. She's kind of in the back, you know, um, supporting and, you know, a key piece. Just, you know, we got two young kids and uh, she's been incredibly supportive. Uh, I went, just went back to school um, and finished that process. And, you know, she just, she champions me from the sidelines and uh, she's been involved in the conferences. And so having my family part of it, you know, I'll, I'll tell the story about when you came out chief. And so I had my oldest uh, son who was, uh, he would have been nine at the time and uh, he wanted to sit in the front row. And so I was like, okay, we let him miss school. We're going to let him come to the conference for one day. I was like, all right, if you're going to come one day, you know, come see chief Escusa. Like you're, you're going to walk away with, with something from this. And so, um, you know, he will never forget chief throughout the day, you would look at him and say, ah, you know, Hudson, what do you think about this? Or, you know, just tie it into him. And uh, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience for him and me. He will never forget that. And uh, both my boys want to be firefighters. I, I don't know if I'm sold on that, but, uh, and probably will change, but it's very cool having them experience that and see what it's all about. And, you know, that environment at the conference where everybody's just they're just ecstatic to be there and they, they can feel that brotherhood and sisterhood, that connection with people. Uh, and then to get to be around, you know, I've, I think I said it at the conference too, like, and I believe this wholeheartedly is that the people who stay relevant are people who just, they just care about people and, you know, they, they reach out and they touch people in, in just various different ways, conversations and, uh, Man, you you reached out to my kid that day, and, and he'll never forget that. I so remember, uh, I remember at least four or five times redirecting the class just to speak to Hudson, thinking this is a valuable uh, moment for me to be able to. Because I remember telling him, "You don't have to believe in other people's opinions of you," you know. And, and this is something I remember talking to uh, all our baseball players about one day when they were, uh, I think, nine years old. I'm always trying to build them up. Okay. And then there was a moment where I said, you know, it's a, my son had a problem with a kid in school. And I said, uh, you know, you don't have to believe what he says about you. It doesn't matter. He can have his opinion. Let him have it. 
It's like if I try to give you this gift and you decide, hey, I don't want the gift, guess what? You don't have to take it. Same thing with words. And so um, one of the things that I did, I said, I'm going to end this practice differently than any other practice. So I ended the practice saying to them things like this. I don't know why I even keep you on his team. You're not a very good baseball player. And you, you're not a, and I, and I said something negative about four or five. At first they were shocked. And then they started giggling because they knew, all right, coach is just kidding. And then I said, all right, let me stop before I go all around. Did any of you think that I was telling you the truth when I said these things? And they're like, well, we didn't know at first. I said, of course, it's not the truth. Do you really think for a second you're a bad baseball player? You're one of the best kids in this age group. So clearly you're not. The point I'm trying to make is you don't have to accept someone else's opinion of you. Let them have it. If somebody says that to you, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because this is what these kids at that age group now we're going through. And speaking of young kids, I want to tell you something I just learned because maybe somebody who's, who's listening to this can take this part away from it. Um, a few days ago, I got very upset with one, with one of my boys and reacted in a way that um, I feel justified, but I wish I didn't do it. Meaning this, I felt justified that I should have been upset with him, but I wish I handled it a little bit differently because sometimes that hot-blooded Italian from Hudson County, New Jersey rears its ugly head. And right after that, I kind of felt bad. I shouldn't have been that firm with him. Shouldn't have raised my voice the way I did. Shouldn't have responded the way I did. It was about a day later. I'm listening to something. And this is, Rob, to your point, what I love about social media. You can get a lot of great things, especially if you start, you follow certain people. And one of the people that I followed says, same thing. I got really upset with my son one day and I was talking to um, a good friend. And here's what they said to me. Imagine that you're 85 years old. You're 85 years old and you got for just one moment, for one 10 minute moment period to come back to the moment when your kids are young and are 9, 10, 11 years old. But that's the moment you come back to. What are you going to do with that 10 minutes? Because you know you got to go back to 85 as soon as you it, those 10 minutes are up. I thought, holy crap, that just made me think I have to be better. You know, we we played uh, baseball games the other day. Of course, I'm the base coach and I make two bad calls that get both of my boys thrown out at different times in the game. Okay, sending them to steal home when I shouldn't have, telling another one to steal when he shouldn't have. I'm trying to be really aggressive, right? And at the same time, I'm like, what are you doing? But it's my call. When we got home, I'm like, I got to take the coach hat off. So I take the coach hat off and I say, um, you know what, guys? I said, um, new Mario movie's out. You want to go see it? They're like, really? Can we invite a friend? Yeah. And next thing I know, I take the boys out. I don't want to go watch the new Mario movie. But I take the boys out and I'm sitting down. And I'm just, I watch them more than I watch the movie. Watch them giggle, enjoy the moment saying, man, I got a, I got a 12 and a 13 year old right here that I'm going to be grateful I gave them and enjoyed and spent this moment with them. It's for them. Just yesterday, I just got really comfortable, got back from the ball field. I sit down, turn on TV. My 13-year-old says, Dad, you want to go in the basement and work out? 
yeah, I do. Inside, I'm going, no, I don't. <laughs> like saying, no, I'm in the basement going, I'm going to want this moment one day. I'll want it back. I just want to put this all out there. It's on my mind. I, I kind of knew at some point we were going to talk about families on this. And I wanted to put my two cents into for people that are listening. Uh, be in that moment with your kids. And um, on that note, is there is there anything you guys want to touch on? And I am going to ask you how people can get a hold of you. I'm going to ask you to talk about your next conference. But anything you want to touch on uh, before we wrap up just about the fire service in general, about training, preparation, um, passion, or anything. And um, be sure to check out DearHollowRecovery.com. What was that? Sorry. Right. I think we have a fourth to, person just come in. I apologize. Uh, no, I was trying to pull up our conference dates. I want to make sure I got it right. No, don't say I'm wrong. I want to see them, not say them. So go ahead, Rob. I'm going to pull up our conference dates. Well, you know, Frank, to, to your point that you were just talking about with kids is like, this is this is the ultimate leader, right? The, the ultimate leader makes sacrifices. And um, I mean, taking the opportunity in, in a rough, you know, a rough game where, you know, the kids got, got thrown out and you made the decision and separating them from that. So they can separate. And that's not the last thing in their mind. They're enjoying something, but you know, you, you probably don't want to go see Mario brothers or you, you obviously, I mean, you said you didn't want to work out, but there's a sacrifice there that you're doing that makes it captures the moment and it makes that connection. And then, and as leaders and as parents, that's ultimately what we need to do is connect with, with the people and we build trust and we build all these things and that. Um, so it, it's really important. I, I guess in wrapping up about talking about the fire service, I've been very fortunate um, through my career. I've had a lot of opportunities. I've had a lot of individuals that have lent me a hand, brought me in, um, you know, teaching with Cody and, and teaching with Kurt and, you know, having the opportunity to be with uh, Scott Thompson. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Ray McCormick, um, Frank Lieb. I mean, the list just goes on yourself. Uh, I've been very fortunate through my career to have these opportunities. And if it wasn't for others, uh, I, I don't know that I would be where I'm at and have the ability to be able to share. And so because it was shared with me, I want to give back as much as I can and as long as I can. And, you know, my time actually in uniform on the line as part of the fire service is probably coming to an end here really quick, but that doesn't mean that I got to roll over and just be done with it all. I mean, I, I look forward to maintaining these relationships. And um, I would just say to, to the listeners, young firefighters, reach out to people that you can see that are, I want to say movers and shakers, but you can see that they are engaged and make a connection, network. Um, network, not just in your community or in your region, get outside of your region. It's okay to learn some other way of doing things. I'll tell you, and I'll admit it, is that smoothbore and combination nozzles both put out fire. And if you just learn about other things, it only just makes you a, a better firefighter in the end. And, and lastly, just uh, appreciate life because we are in the profession that we see a lot of life taken away at a very short period of time. And um, when you are getting to the end of your career or when you're in this is like really step back every once in a while and take a look at everything and just like appreciate the fact that you have a great job. You're doing great things as a firefighter. You're helping people out. You're probably being compensated in some fashion. If you're, if you're a career firefighter in, in a decent 
wage to be able to take care of a family and just appreciate life because it goes pretty quick. Mm, great advice. Great advice. Brian, how about you? Uh, I don't know if I can follow that. I don't know if I can either. That's why I passed it on to you. (laughs) That's great, Rob. Um, yeah, I mentorship. It's obviously that's, that's why we're on here. That's why we're having this conversation is we found so much value in mentorship and it's on so many different levels. And I think you, you've got to find it no matter where you are at in your career at different levels inside the fire service, outside the fire service, from real people, from podcast. Um, you know, what you just said uh, just resonated with me, Chief, about, you know, I'm I, I'm the same way. I, I can so overreact to my kids and you, and you just don't get those moments back. And uh, but mentorship is has just been a, a part of my life from being a father to a husband Every part of my life, I've had people that I've looked up to, and sometimes I feel like I'm kind of like a pound puppy, like people have just adopted me throughout you know, my entire adult life that are a little bit older, they've been there before, and uh, I've, had, I've, made a lot, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've, I've made a lot less mistakes because I've had people who could just steer me in the right direction who've already been there and done that. So um, yeah, I... I that's why we're here is mentorship is finding those people and seeking them out and taking their advice and making yourself better in, in every aspect of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they're out there. The, the information's out there. The people are out there. You just have to seek it. Uh, you said you were looking up the dates for your next conference. You want to just touch on that real quick? Yeah. So we, uh, we moved up to Spokane, Washington this year, which is, is Eastern Washington. It's a little bit uh, bigger airport, a little easier to get into. But uh, we're going to be starting off our pre-conference Sunday, May 21st, and our pre-conference is all peer support day. So we are going to have um, a local uh, trauma doc, uh, Dr. Kishel, and then uh, I know you know Dina, so Chief Chief Dina Ali is going to come out, who does fantastic peer support training. And so that's going to be the entirety of day one. And then we'll get into the main conference uh, on Monday, the 22nd, which is Chief Thompson, the functional fire company. And then um, on day two is split the engine officer with uh, Chief Kyle Romagus and the ladder officer with Captain Arthur Ashley. And then the last day, we're going to follow up with uh, the great Mo Davis teaching aggressive command, Chief Mo Davis. That's right. I was just out in um, not too far from where uh, where Mo works out in, in Houston. And a couple cool things happen is uh, he, I think I was about probably maybe 35 minutes away from him as far with traffic and everything in consideration. I was in uh, Northwest Texas or Northwestern Texas. And uh, at one point I'm teaching it and I look in the back room and who's standing there with Mo Davis. And I thought, Hey, that's cool. Mo's here. And next break, I'm going to go talk to him for a little bit. But by the time the next break, a call came in and he had to bolt and he texted me saying I couldn't stay. A call came in. And then right after that, we went to see Clyde Gordon at his station. And then I went to see the, uh, the Astros, uh, play a game of baseball. It, it was a lot of fun spending out there. And that was a day, by the way, that I also, uh, it was actually the next day, uh, we went to, um, Marcus Luttrell's house and I got to sit down with Marcus and Morgan Luttrell, um, you know, from Lone Survivor signed a book for me. I have it right here. And we got to talk wow. a little bit about, yeah, that was a great moment. That's we got nice. to talk about, um, preparing for success 
And he didn't say this, but I kind of want to end with this because it's something just before I got on this call, I was uh, doing a little bit of writing on this topic and that mindset of pressure is a privilege. Pressure is a privilege. And what I mean by that is this. If you are a new officer, for sure, you're going to be in a point in your journey where you feel pressure. Well, pressure is a privilege because somebody put you in that position. You got yourself there, but somebody put you in this position because they believed in you to a point they said, well, we think they can handle this. They can learn from it. They can grow from it and and can is up for the challenge. And it's almost like saying if you if you if if you're not in the fire service related to a sport, if you're if if somebody's given the opportunity to now play quarterback for their high school team, hey, you know what? You're gonna feel the pressure of being a quarterback on a high school team. Pressure's a privilege. Someone believed in you to put you in that point. And and, and you nobody's expected in my book, nobody's expected to just get into a position and perform at the highest level. Sometimes it's gonna take a little bit to get there. But if we do things right on your way there, you could start performing, like you said, Rob, before you get there. We had that happen in our department where, uh, no, no joke, a conversation between my brother and I, we were two deputy chiefs on two different groups. And we said, look, you have the number one uh, firefighter on the list to be promoted to captain. And I have the number two there's a good likelihood they're both going to get promoted. So why don't we both train them as if they're officers now? So when they get that promotion, whatever group they get transferred to, it's going to be a seamless transition into that role. So we did what you talked about, Rob, is that informal mentorship. It wasn't even us doing the mentoring. We got a couple other officers involved saying, hey, so you're going to be an officer. So we're going to have you work at this station under these two officers. You'll be doing radio reports. You'll be doing written reports. You're going to be uh, running a drill here and there. You're going to be doing exactly what they do. So when you do get promoted, you move right into that like, like you've been doing it for the past four months, five months, six months. And that's what we started doing. And that's how our informal mentorship program played out. Uh, the one that I talk about in the classes. But so... Uh, Wanted to touch on that. I'll give you a chance to wrap up with a word or two or a sentence or a paragraph, whatever you want. Rob, I'll start with you. Well, on, on your note there on pressure, you, you think of like, uh, in, 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 you know, with professional athletes, they want the ball, right? There's a lot of pressure with having the ball, the, the final shot. You know, most people remember Michael Jordan, some just like, buzzer shots that you're just going, wow. And he wins the whole game. Same thing with baseball pitching, wanting to be the, the one up to bat. And the thing to remember, and you said it preparation, the thing to remember is being privileged for that pressure. We had to prepare to get there. And even though somebody reaches down and lifts you up and says, Hey, we're going to put you into this pressure spot and think of it as a company officer. If you prepared, you want that pressure spot. You're ready for that pressure spot. You're and, and 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 I've talked to a number of firefighters and, and officers like I'm not ready for battalion chief. I mean, just talking with Dina when Dina right before Dina was promoting battalion chief and and working with her, and she I you know she'd say I, you know I don't know that I'm ready for battalion chief. And I said Dina, you're never ready for battalion chief. You will never be ready for battalion chief. You've prepared this to this point, and now you have the opportunity to show that you're 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 ready to a certain level. 
And then, then that, I guess the pressure as we're talking about, it's what develops you as, as the next battalion chief or whatever it is, company ops or whatever it is. So there's, there's definitely this relationship of the pressure moment and being there and why you're there. But uh, my last, my last comments are um, we will see you, uh, Ryan and I are going to be at FDIC next week. So we'll hopefully run into you at FDIC. We're looking for the cool classes on leadership and mentoring and good firefighters and some brother and sisterhood there. And then um, I will be at CLBC um, the second, I think it's the second week of May. Yeah, I'll be um, there as well. So I'll see you there as well. If we, if our paths cross, I think I'm there on Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be there the whole week. I don't know which day that I'm teaching. Uh, it's always a surprise with Kurt sometimes, but, uh, but I will be there. Then the following week is our conference. Um, I'm keynoting at the Lake of the Ozarks in the end of July. Um, I'm keynoting at uh, Mile High in the fall. Um, so I've got a lot of really cool things going on. And, and uh, you can reach me on Facebook, Rob Fisher 72 Twitter, you know, Instagram. Uh, I don't get into Twitter and Instagram that much, or you can just email me robfisher72 at gmail.com or just give me a call 425-870-0129. And I know that's going out to everybody, but um, I, I love talking shop and, and I love helping well, everybody out. So you're like me. My, my, uh, I, while I was talking to you, I just got a, a text from a, um, from a firefighter that uh it's it, my number's accessible on my website and everything maybe it'll get to a point where i'm like maybe it's not a good idea but right now it feels really good to be accessible you know and try to help people and i know that's what you're where your heart is too so i appreciate that you put it all out there so thank you for that and you just mentioned kurt isaacson you're like yeah you never really know like so i have a buddy that's going down there teaching for the first time and he's like i don't know what day i'm teaching i'm not sure what topic he wants me to teach on i don't know when i start i go yeah i don't either i just the thing i get firmed up is just tell me what day to teach and i'll get and i'll give you my flight information and I'll be there and I'll do it. Cause he's just like, no, just, just do what you want. I'm like, okay. But that's what I love about it. He like, but you talk about trust, right? There's a guy that says, Hey, Rob, you're speaking for me at this conference. Thank you. And I trust you. Here's your day. Do your thing. And, and yeah. uh, th there's, there's a level of comfort there or complete disorganization. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, on the, on the, on the, on the point of trust, I mean, this is this is kind of funny. We were down there for ODP, one of the other conferences Kurt does, and uh, John Norman was supposed to be there, and because of COVID, it was during the COVID time, he couldn't he couldn't be there, and so they were, we were all taking pieces of the John Norman book to teach, and on Wednesday, uh, Kurt and and Todd Edwards, who's another person of of CFT come to me and say, Hey, would you teach the, the truck portion out of, out of John Norman's book? I'm like, you gotta be kidding me when tomorrow. And so me and Mo Davis stayed up late till three o'clock in the morning, you know, trying to put together a, a presentation, but, but Kurt and Todd had trust in me. And, uh, you know, I'm not a New York city firefighter and, uh, I'm not at any level that John Norman is, but Hey, would you, would you take this on? And, and we trust that you're going to be able to, you know, give a good show. And we had, Mo and I had an awesome class. We we had a great time doing it, and uh, and I appreciate it. So there's another. That's a per. It's a perfect example. 
It's a perfect example. And Todd Edwards is a great guy. I was just in Jacksonville, Alabama. I get to the airport and I'm ready to fly out. And he texts me, says, Hey, are you still here? Want to meet up? And I'm like, Oh man, I just, I'm just leaving right now. He just got there. I'm like our past cross. That's a beautiful thing about what we do. You mentioned a couple people like Ray McCormick. I was out in Seattle last time I was out there. Um, I go to the airport. He's just landing. The guy that dropped me off is now picking him up. And I'm like, Hey, nice talking to you. Sorry. We don't have much time to talk, but it is cool that when we get to FDIC and, and Kurt's conferences, we get that time uh, to, to have dinner, that fellowship. And it's awesome. Uh, Ryan, it's your show to wrap up my friend. Thank you again, both of you for being on. I appreciate you, but Ryan, any final thoughts? Um, you know, I love the conversation on pressure and I'll, I'll finish on that because it, it really ties into kind of what we stand for um, on young officers on fire. And I'll say that the most pressure I ever felt was uh, my senior firefighter and driver or one of my senior firefighters and drivers um, and paramedic. I was out with her family and uh, her dad, who was a, a career military uh, man, he looked at me with his two granddaughters in his arms. And the last thing he said to me was, was get my baby home. Um, and that's pressure. Right. And so, you know, our message out to the people who want to be leaders and who are leaders is like, you owe the people who you lead. And it's a, it's a major responsibility. And I think you have to appreciate, like, I want to know my, my people's kids. Um, I, I want that pressure because it's real. And uh, I think if you appreciate that, it will make you feel like you are never, you've never learned enough. You've never trained enough. You've never been mentored enough. Um, and that should keep your fire burning, which is, which is why we're here. So thank you so much. I can't even think of a better way to wrap up than what you just said. So thank you for bringing it back home the way it did. Boys, men, thank you. Uh, I hope people that listen to this took some value away and uh, attend your conference. If they have the ability to do so, reach out to you guys if they're looking for a mentorship speaker or whatever it may be. But I appreciate you guys for giving me the time to talk with you today on Flashpoint. Thanks thank for having you so us much, on, Chief. Man.